Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. As you know, my name is Josh Norris. His name is Ian Harditz. His name, John Daigle. Gentlemen, how are we today? We beautiful? We handsome? We're in double-digit weeks now. I know, it's amazing. Six team buys. Six teams on buy. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) Get the energy up. (laughs) Well, speaking of energy, I have a question for you, as I always do each and every week. as I always am. You sign your emails energetically Comma, oh John. yeah. So I delete that a lot of times because I don't want to get made fun of. But that's how I sign all my professional emails. Yeah. What? Why? That's my Why sig- energetically? That's my signature. Uh, because it's unique and it stands out. That's how I actually sign my resumes in the past as well. Uh-huh. I end everything with energetically, John. And I think it fits me the best, as opposed to sincerely or respectfully. With love. Nope. With kindness. Who else is using energetically? Just energetically, know. John it's, Daigle. I mean, it's fair. That's why I ask, because I've never seen it before. That's also when you get my laziest emails, because that means I didn't take the time to go down and delete it before sending it. So when I message you and everything's misspelled, and as you have seen in my personal emails, sometimes the keyboard switches to Spanish as well, so you'll get like tillies what? over words. Look at your emails from me. Why does it switch to Spanish? Because I, I type with... I get made fun because I type with like my index fingers when I'm texting. Have you ever seen like that? Like you're 63 years old. Like I literally use three fingers instead of using my thumbs like a normal individual, yes. Okay. We're getting too far into my personal no, life. No, I mean, look, I, that's what I want to know about. When I ask about other people's personal life, that means I don't have to talk about mine. So Energetically John is the signature. Energetically John. No um, one steal that, please. Wow. As you all know, we record this Monday episode halfway through Monday, so it's before some of the injury news, whatever, before Monday Night Football. Before we have time to research everything, too. Like, but we no, jump in. but we've got a lot to talk about today because there's a lot to take from week yeah. nine of the NFL season and spin it forward in week 10. Dago, why don't we start with you? Because you want to talk about Odell Beckham, who has been obviously a major story in the last couple weeks. Even this entire season, the Browns have lost four straight games. In those four straight losses, Odell Beckham has 30 targets, 18 receptions, 267 yards, and zero touchdowns. This is a player that people picked unanimously in the top 20 fantasy football this Mm -hmm. year, and he has done nothing to warrant that draft selection. Yeah, now averaging just over eight targets on the season. Fantasies, wide receiver 28 on the entire year. Fantasies, wide receiver 48 since week three. 31st in catches and 18th overall in receiving yards. And... To peek further behind the curtains, we called and talked about the Browns on that review podcast last night, and I felt bad. I even texted you afterwards and said, hey, let's do that again. You were like, no, we're good. Because like I 
was not energetic and energetically and excited to talk about the Browns because they're just an awful team and they're miserable to watch actually especially when you know they could be doing better because their play calling is horrendous so I personally and I want to get your opinions on this I think we've reached the point where you can't just start Odell Beckham because of his talent I think you genuinely have to start asking yourself now uh are we playing him over x receiver or Hmm. Are we just starting him? We, we get these questions in the Sunday show each time. And right? I think it's Live. suddenly become a fair question for Beckham. Totally. And it's one of those decisions, right, Ian, where we get to midseason where you have to remove these people's names. You have to remove their draft capital and just start the best player in the best matchup with likely the best volume. And right now that's not Odell. I am biggest OBJ truther Me at too. this table. I think he is the most talented receiver in the entire sure. league. And Baker Mayfield is ruining what was supposed to be the best season ever. It's so frustrating. He has had four games a season with fewer than eight targets. That is already a career high. Like, you know, I, I was one of many people that made fun of Eli Manning not be able to get Beckham the ball. But like you said, man. Which it, also was not false. That was not was false not to false, make fun of. But now mm-hmm. it's just even worse, which I did not see coming. You know, I will be the first one to admit that. 8.4 targets per game this season. Previously, I'd never seen fewer than 10.3. OBJ and Jarvis Landry have the exact same amount of targets this season, which is inexcusable. With that said, the best is still to come, guys. OBJ is too good to go an entire season. That's what I'm asking. Like- we got next week, Tredavious White, who has not shadowed this season. Buffalo, tough matchup. Fine. That's a tough matchup. Okay. After that, we got two games against the Steelers. Miami and Cincy. Joe Hayden, at this point, is not anyone to fear. I don't think the Steelers secondary, other than Minka, Fats, Minka Fitzpatrick in general, is anybody to fear. I am confidently firing up OBJ still. I'm riding and dying. We've gotten this far. That guy is not hitting my bench. It's confidently comma, Ian, is how he's going to start confidently, signing his <laughs> Confidently hearts, yeah. Um, I don't know, guys. Like, There's just something off here with the Browns in total. Nick Chubb is doing everything for this offense, and nothing else is working. Jarvis Landry, I don't know if you can count him each and every week, just despite that volume. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you can't trust Baker Mayfield. And it doesn't make sense, and Ian, and John, I know you guys watch these games mm-hmm. every single weekend. I don't know, because I do too, and I don't know if I can put a finger on why it's just not working, despite it being a total, a summation of penalties, of bad play calling, of missed opportunities, And all of that is kind of coming into the first nine weeks of the season, a perfect storm of failure for, what, the two and six Cleveland Browns? But I think the biggest thing for Beckham has been volume. All those things are also true, but same thing like we're saying with Juju. It's just we see the talent flash. We see Beckham beat Chris Harris Jr. off the line, get open deep, and just not get the ball. I mean, Mm -hmm. even last week against Stephon Gilmore, best or second-best cornerback in the game, OBJ was getting free plenty of times in that matchup. The talent is still there. He just needs the ball. I'm hoping at this point Baker decides, hey, maybe I should just toss the ball to Beckham whenever because nothing else has worked to this point. And that's the thing. Like, it's not even all his fault. As we've said, the volume is an issue, yes, but when he gets open, Baker Mayfield, which then you attribute to this offense in general, Baker Mayfield is not seeing him when he's open either. So I, I, I'm, I'm taking it case by case moving forward, and I'm being like, oh, well, this wide receiver I rank wide receiver 18, whereas against Buffalo, Beckham, low-end wide receiver two, I'm going to play someone over him. I think it's fair to start asking that question. And it's just hard to trade him right now because his value is at his lowest point. You're not going to get a dollar for dollar if you try shipping him off, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's like too, too much of a reach to try shipping him. 
I think he only has three red zone targets this season. That's crazy. Uh, which is it's disgusting. Ludicrous. And no touchdowns in the last bad. four games. Just one touchdown the season, 575 receiving yards and 39 receptions. I just want to give him a hug like Robin Williams and Good Will Hunting and say it's <laughs> not your fault. One of my he actually movies. like seems very positive about it and optimistic about Everyone it. Keeps... Like he's not crushing this situation like we have seen right. these tantrums on the sideline before. Even his tantrums, like he just wants the ball. What awesome wide receiver oh, dude, shouldn't I, want no, the ball? No, no, no. I'm not saying like, oh, we should criticize Odell <laughs> for having feelings or being passionate about yeah. this. But he seems like he has learned from that and is handling it a bit of a different way. But I'm sure internally he's still extremely frustrated. But you so. mentioned it in the review pod. The, the cleat fiasco is a summarization of the Brown season. Just something that is unnecessary and it doesn't need to happen. Yeah. But, hey, they wear joker cleats and gold cleats. NFL calls them, says, hey, you got to change that at halftime. Okay, like, it's just something that should be avoided. Right. But that, that summarizes the Browns' year. Apparently, the NFL should be the ones avoiding that and changing <laughs> avoiding their policy. Beckham. What's well, wrong with some personality? Well, apparently what happened, if I can just go on a narrative here, what ha- and he said this, that in the summer they were supposed to wear white jerseys this weekend, but that changed into what the All Browns, I think, this past yes, weekend. And he didn't on TV and he didn't have cleats to match those, whatever. I mean, these players get free cleats all the time, so I don't know if I believe that excuse, especially when he said the other pair just hurt his feet. Okay, whatever. Um, okay, last night was the Sunday night football game uh, between the Baltimore Ravens and the New England Patriots. A fan- fantastic game, a very inspiring game. In fact, it inspired Ian Harditz to have a little self internal discussion about where the quarterback position might be going in the NFL. Well, Collinsworth brought it up on the broadcast. I thought it was a good point where he was just saying, like, this game could help coaches and scouts in general kind of reach out and just consider different types of quarterbacks in the future. I think we've already seen that a little bit with Mahomes and Baker inspiring more chances on air raid quarterbacks. So I guess my kind of question is, like, what do we see the future prototype NFL QB being in 10 years? Like, are scouts going to be – because right now – I mean, we see, you know, again, the strong arm pocket passers are continuously, for better or worse, getting drafted high. Do we think that stays the same? Is everyone going to want Tom Brady, this mainly pocket passer, that's just going to efficiently dice up defenses? Or do we want someone like Lamar Jackson, just truly an elite rusher at the position? Or finally, do we just kind of keep seeing maybe the air raid mold of the Patrick Mahomes 2018 Baker Mayfield where they're able to make plays off script all the time? I would think that Gardner Minshew, among others, have opened the door for more air raid opportunities. Uh, Not all the way, but just to give some guys towards the back end of draft opportunities just because they played in a college air raid offense. Um, I think 10 years is a little extreme here to look at. In fact, I think just looking five years in advance, because 10 years ago you were like 12 years old, right? Uh, 16, but thank you. Sorry. Thanks for that. Uh, no, but it's it's something where in 10 years, the game completely changes. Like the, the mindset of what we look for at certain positions, like, you know, nickel situations weren't played 65% of the time 10 years ago. You know, you had three linebackers that were 265, 270 pounds out on the field. You know, we didn't have 11 personnel running all over everyone with Sean McVay instituting this idea that you can have the same look but different plays out of it each and every situation. Um, So even five years in the future, I agree with you. We're going to see things that are different. I also am of the belief, though, that how the college game is stealing from high school and how the NFL game is stealing from college allows more opportunities, like you said, to quarterbacks that have deficiencies in certain areas, whether they be height, whether they be 
arm, whether they be just a different look than what the NFL is accustomed to with their big statuesque quarterbacks, I think we are finally starting to get so removed from the ideal position of quarterback that for so long was these statues of Tom Brady and Peyton Manning in the pocket that if you made everything perfect around them, then they could dish it out to exactly who you wanted to throw the football to. Now winning outside of structure is absolutely critical, and as well as winning inside of structure and you know, having mobile quarterbacks, having athletic quarterbacks gives you that avenue outside of that structure that I think the NFL is honestly embracing and harnessing even more than ever. Especially when those mobile quarterbacks are still willing to at least try to win inside the structure. Like another good point Collinsworth made last night was, you know, the overwhelming majority of Lamar Jackson's passes have come from inside the pocket this season. I mean, most of his rushing yards is just from designed running. He's more or less being used as a single wing quarterback for large portions of these games. And that's incredibly new in the NFL. I mean, only Lamar this year and last year and Cam Newton a couple years ago. Those are the only quarterbacks that have had over 300 rushing yards in the season on just designed runs. So even though Lamar, a lot of things he's doing, it looks like he's out of structural, out of structure. That's kind of their offense. So I think more than anything, it doesn't, you know, if you end up with Mahomes, if you end up with Lamar, if you end up with someone completely different than them. You need to build your offense around the quarterback and just accentuate their talents as best as possible, which sounds like common knowledge, but we've seen and how many times over the last 10 years where coach has his scheme that's been successful and they just want to plug the quarterback in without changing anything because, you know, then it's easier to blame the player and keep your own job. That's the thing, like, uh, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens offense seem like the exception since most coaches get their personnel and then do what they want to do in order to win as opposed to doing what's necessary to win. Hmm. Uh, that's why the Ravens in general are just a harmonic, like it's a beautiful franchise who did something amazing last night, and I would assume it just continues to grow as we move forward along the season. It's funny you mentioned 10 years because 10 years ago in 2009, Pat White was a second-round pick. And I'm not saying that Pat White it was going to ever be this star yeah. that no matter where he landed, he was going to be good. But Pat White was an absolute failure because of where he did land in the second round to the Miami Dolphins. It's what, it's what I fear with Haskins, too, being in that organization. Well, but and I would say Pat White and Haskins are quite different players. No, totally players, different, yeah. But the NFL had no idea what to do with a quarterback like that at the time. Yeah, they you know? tried to throw him in a wildcat package for like five snaps a game. <laughs> now the Ravens are legitimately building the entire offense around mm-hmm. him, So, I, And I, as we head into draft season, I do want to reiterate this point that I bring up often, but it's worth pointing out, that scouts' opinions don't matter um, because there are over 300 NFL scouts across the league. And uh, among those 300 people, you can just find opinions on every single side of the evaluation that you want to search for. So whenever we hear, like, anonymous scout thinks this, anonymous scout thinks that, sure, that can be one of 300 opinions. <laughs> and no matter what, their evaluations in the end don't mean squat, okay? What matters is the person at the top making the decision. Because if you or I were running an NFL team, are we going to rely on this Northwest scout for this evaluation of this quarterback and just trust in him? No, we're going to trust in our beliefs, in what we believe in, in what we see, in our own evaluation, and make the decision based on that. Not to put down scouts, because that's mm-hmm. not necessarily fair. They don't get paid a lot of money. Sure. It's a and tough you're kind job. Of a scout. 
oh, I'm not a scout. I'm just a guy who watches football and shares my opinion. But we do get locked on on saying that, hey, this is one professional evaluator's opinion. That means it's the entire leagues. You look at Lamar Jackson, and that's definitely the case in this front where some people wanted to be a wide receiver, some a running back, some thought he could never throw, so on and so forth. You can find every angle of a player based on those anonymous scout quotes. And it is just real quick. It's funny how, you know, giving the Ravens all this credit when – on the draft, they would they pass on him like three times and traded back before they finally ended up selecting him at pick thirty two. Well, they took Hayden Hurst in front of him. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, when you could take Hayden Hurst, you got to do it. Every every single team had a chance to draft Lamar Jackson, and it took the Ravens like three tries for them to finally say yes. And yeah. also remember, the NFL is reactive, not proactive. So if Lamar Jackson, the Ravens, like beat the Patriots and win the Super Bowl, the rest of the league is going to follow along and try to get that prototypical like rushing quarterback as we move forward. I believe this was also Ozzie Newsom's last draft. And so him yep. as his parting away gift, giving them Lamar Jackson, going from Joe Flacco to Lamar Jackson is a big deal. Completely I, different. This kind of leads into what my next topic is. And I was inspired by DK Metcalf's performance on Sunday. Um, he was fantastic. And on the season, he's been awesome. Uh, 54 targets, 29 catches, 525 yards. And I have nine touchdowns written down. I think it's five touchdowns. Yeah, five. It's actually. five tied for the league lead with, among rookies. We, we already forget, though, and this was only last April. DK Metcalf was the 64th overall selection, the end of the second round. He was the ninth wide receiver selected mm -hmm. in that draft. And already in the past couple weeks, um, the Internet has become very reactionary and reflective on DK Metcalf going so late because he was a story all throughout the draft season. Remember, he was highly regarded at Ole Miss, missed a, a large portion of his time there because of injuries, then goes and tests in the 99th percentile, just this freak of nature of a body. But, you know, it's become too binary. Like, people believe, oh, either you love DK Metcalf or you hated him. You thought he was perfect or you thought he was the worst. That's not the case. And you guys know this from watching the Seahawks. They have been able to recognize where he wins, where he succeeds, especially early in the season, and then only asking him to do that. And Ian, each and every week, they just keep adding a little bit more, and his game is growing because of it. It's, the, it's been the perfect way for a team to handle, in some ways, a limited player right now in DK Metcalf, and hopefully he progresses from it. I feel like a lot of these limited players, like Lamar Jackson, uh, Derrick Henry, where, they're, yes, they're limited in certain aspects of their game, but they're exceptional in other aspects of the game and we it's great to see coaches like Carroll and the Seahawks right now making sure they only feature their players where they are the very best and with DK Metcalf that is downfield that's in contested catch situations and it's not asking him to be this uh, you know route running technician at this point because he's not you're not asking him to be. be Stephon Diggs you're not asking him to be Emmanuel Sanders you're asking him to be this freak on the outside who can beat up on Jamel Dean yesterday, who mm -hmm. Jamel Dean tested the 97th percentile himself. 4-3 guy, right? He was a ridiculous athlete coming out of Auburn. But DK Metcalf, again, you ask him to win along the left sideline, but now you're also asking a corner and man coverage to stick with him across the field as he's streaking either vertically or just on drag routes, and no one's been able to stay with him the last couple weeks with that. And that's why he leads all rookie receivers with nine catches of 20-plus yards, four catches of 40-plus yards. Like He is bringing an element to the offense that Tyler Lockett does not and Tyler Lockett is amazing, but they still need one more wide out on the outside, yeah. and it's what they're doing with DK Metcalf running 58% of his routes from the left side. The only rookie wide receivers with more yards per target since 2014 Juju, OBJ, and Devontae Parker, who I'm still holding out hope for wow. once he gets to a second team. But uh, no, I think. I think the reason maybe fell so far in the draft is like we have seen this kind of transition to 
smaller, quicker wide receivers because they can survive now in today's NFL. They're not getting their heads taken off every time they go down the middle. We've had guys like Brashad Perryman, but some of the bigger-bodied guys like Des Bryant, Brandon Marshall have kind of moved out of the league. And I'm not saying DK Metcalf is like any of those guys necessarily, but uh, you could just see why people would poke holes in his game without giving proper credit to what he does well. And taking that one step further, even the prototype that DK Metcalf was coming out of Ole Miss, you had players just like that fail. Kevin White failed, who's stuck on one side of the field at West Virginia, who Mm -hmm. was also injured um, coming out of school. You had Corey Coleman, who stayed on one side of the field at Baylor and was also injured during his time at Baylor. Like, this was a thing where these, you know, professional evaluators sit there and say, okay, we've seen this story in the past. We And look, the Seahawks drafted two players ahead of him in this draft as well, and L.J. Collier and Marquise Blair. And took and, two more rookie receivers after him. And while Marquise Blair is starting now, both those rookies certainly didn't get off to scorching starts like D.K. Metcalf did. All because it took him seven seconds to run in between three orange cones. Wow. That's why. Still testing the ninth percentile. Um, I do want to point out Marquise Brown, Nikhil Harry, Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown, Mikael Hardman, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, Paris Campbell, Andy Isabella were the eight receivers selected above Metcalf. And I don't want to say I'm, like, totally down on any of those names either. Like, we've seen great bright spots from Marquise Brown. We've mm-hmm. seen amazing bright spots from A.J. Brown. Mikael Hardman has made some plays. Debo's made some plays. You know, Nikhil, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, Andy Isabella, Paris Campbell hasn't gotten you know, major work in their offenses yet. But I still think the optimistic view is very positive of all eight of those names. Absolutely. No, I'm with you. And look, it is an amazing, like, if not the best case, top three for sure for Metcalf to end up in Seattle with Russ Wilson, with this offense that's, you know, down to throw the ball downfield uh, at the rate they do. But, yeah, I, I, just, I don't I, know how he felt so far. When, the, when we knew the upside was this high, that's the thing. Well, yeah. And, I mean, I do know how he felt so far. But it's also just not as binary as if he's good, if he's not. But something that is binary, watch this transition, <laughs> is if you want some help with your fantasy football leagues, go and check out rotorworld.com win. Use that promo code NFL50 or rotorworld.com DFS. Use that promo code NFL50. Those are our premium products. If you purchase those, it will improve your fantasy season the rest of the year. Again, rotorworld.com win, rotorworld.com slash DFS. Um, speaking of one Seahawks wide receiver in DK Metcalf, mm-hmm. John Daigle, you do the waivers for us each and every week. You can check out that column up on Roto World right now. And the Seahawks just added another specimen of a wide receiver in Josh Gordon. This is more about talking about what happens now that Josh Gordon is presumably in this office as, offense as early as Monday. Because now we've done our gleaming, glistening about DK Metcalf. We're adding another receiver on the outside that should logically take away from Metcalf's targets and involvement. So I'm actually just asking the two of you, what do you believe will happen? Because Josh Gordon isn't available in a majority of leagues, but he is. He was logically dropped, right? Because uh, we didn't know if he was ever going to play football again, this season at least. But now, hey, he's back. He hasn't caught 750 yards with a single team since uh, 2014, I believe. Like, so what happens now with him in this offense? I think the expectation of him working in in his first week with the Seahawks is nothing. Okay. His second week in the offense is nothing. Um, with that said, what we just talked about with DK is this is an offense that knows how to give players just a little bit, and then hopefully they can grow from there. So I don't think early on we should downgrade DK Metcalf at all or Tyler Lockhart or anyone else in this offense. I think their hope is 
the Seahawks just know that this is a window for them to win. Like Russell Wilson is playing at an MVP level. So why not be the only team, the only team, the only team. to put in a waiver claim for a receiver who is declining in play, who is coming from an offense that has been struggling. And so there's a reason why he's no longer on the New England Patriots. Still has some upside because he has shown that this year, Ian. Yeah, and I, I, I still think they're happy with their number three wide receiver right now between Jerron Brown and David Moore. We've seen both those guys. I mean, it's been whispers like every time every time a new chapter pops up in the Antonio Brown saga, it's like the Seahawks did their due diligence. We'll get a report like that. So I think, like you said, they're just looking to add weapons. You know, losing Will Disley didn't help. We've seen Jacob Hollister do some good things. But, yeah, no, I think they're just trying to get more weapons. And, again, when it doesn't cost them anything to do, I don't really blame them. For fantasy purposes, though, are you now taking DK Metcalf's 6-120 and a touchdown and trying to flip it at its high point? Or do you think that's still the constant with Russell Wilson for the rest of the season with Josh Gordon involved? I would – I'm not downgrading Metcalf too much, especially in the near term, right. uh, like you said. It doesn't help, but – no, nah, I think I still hold on to Metcalf. He's still – he's a better football player right now than Josh Gordon. No, for sure. He's I agree. pretty much 2013 Josh Gordon, I mean, to an extent. And uh, But, no, nah, I, I wouldn't downgrade him right now. He's still the number two receiver in one of the league's best offenses with your likely MVP. I agree. I'm holding him as well. I'm not using the number one waiver pickup on Josh Gordon if he's available, but – if it comes with zero cost or a few extra fab here or there, I'm definitely picking him up if I have the room. Should we move on? Yeah, let's do it. Oh, by the right. way, last thing on the Seahawks. Tyler Lockett, it's week 10 right now. Career high, career high, 72 targets. Wow. Oh. That. I mean, he and Russell Wilson share a brain. Like, it's, it's wild yeah. how connected yeah. they are on the field. Ronald Jones is up next on Daigle's waiver column. Uh, just against the Seattle Seahawks, he had 18 carries for 67 yards and a score, also two catches for 15 yards. And maybe more important than anything, he got the start. He got the start, but I assumed that he would just come out on the next drive. But no, like he handled, like you said, 18 carries, a season high, 53% of their snaps, got vultured in a hurry up at the end of the game from Dari on a one-yard score. But for the most part, like Ronald Jones became their number one back like we've been waiting for. Uh, 53% of the snaps might not seem like much, but he handled a touch on 47% of those, which is Todd Gurley-like. So he will be the number one pickup this week. And over the rest of the season, he gives you enough, especially as you're a running back two, to get you through the fantasy playoffs. Yeah, honestly, like watching the game, I was surprised it was only at 53% because yeah. they really leaned on him. And it was Dari still on pass downs, but Barber was more or less an afterthought uh, in this spot. And he should be at this point. Look, I mean, <laughs> Rojo, 4.1 yards per carry. Barber, 3.3. Rojo, 11.3 yards per target. Barber, 2.8. Like, again, he's got – Rojo has better yards after contact, more explosive runs. He has been clearly the better back all season. And, I mean, Bruce Arians, I don't have the exact quote, but I think he said something along these lines like earlier in the year that Rojo could be the guy as the season goes on. And we're seeing that now. Matchups to end the year. Cardinals, Saints, Falcons, Jaguars, Colts, Lions, Texans. I'll take that you all can, day. You can take that. Yeah. I think I was just so shocked because – there was nothing that led us to believe they were going to break this timeshare. Ronald Jones had outperformed Peyton Barber the past month, month and a half, but there was still the hot hand approach and still giving Peyton Barber all the goal line work. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, in this big game, it was all Ronald Jones. So I would imagine that's the case moving forward. I thought it might be last week because they had the week uh, seven bye. Mm -hmm. But then, yeah, no, it wasn't. But then they split touches again, yeah. yeah. Sometimes the NFL just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> oh, all right, no. next up is Zach Pascal, the wide receiver for the Indianapolis Colts. They faced the Pittsburgh Steelers this past weekend, and Pascal was the team's leading receiver without T.Y. Hilton on the field. Six targets, five catches, 76 yards, and a score. Um, Jacoby Brissett has not been ruled out for Week 10 yet, but 
having a name like Zach Pascal, you know, doesn't elicit so much excitement for people to pick up, especially if Brian Hoyer is starting on the football. But he looked good on Sunday. I wrote about him in the waiver wire. I think he was the number two receiver even before T.Y. Hilton got that Thursday scare and ruled out for the next two or the three weeks because he got two targets in week eight against the Broncos, but behind the box score, played 92% of their snaps with Deion Kane healthy scratch. Deion Kane was forced to play this past week against the Steelers, but Pascal still led the team in targets, as you said. Uh, again, 94% of their snaps and is now run a route on 100% of the Colts' dropbacks in the past two weeks. He's on the field for every down and is now getting the Dolphins in Week 10. I don't care if Brian Hoyer is out there. Uh, Pascal is good enough to once again lead this team in targets and just plug and play as your wide receiver three as soon as this week. Yeah, like Diggle saying, they finally cleared up their rotation they were using for most of the season at wide receiver. Pat, uh, at wide receiver and Pascal has been on top of that, and he's been good the entire season. I mean, we were talking on our Sunday show yesterday, and like again. I took a ranking of like all 90 receivers with at least 20 targets. You know, where does he rank in workload? Where does he rank in yards per target? And like the biggest difference in the league was in terms of who should be getting more targets. Is that Pascal? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, let's close this one out with Noah Fant, the rookie tight end out of Iowa for the Denver Broncos. Had a career day. It's been a short career, but it's had a career day mm-hmm. against the Cleveland Browns. Um, he had four cat or four targets for three catches, 115 yards, and a touchdown. His best game previous to that Daigle was just 37 yards. He should have had bigger games in, yeah. in the past. It's his fault. Missed opportunities, namely in the form of drops. But whenever we can just search and find little glimpses of greatness from rookie tight ends, we should hang on to it. And we saw that from Noah Fant this past weekend. But what we also saw was since Emmanuel Sanders was traded to San Francisco the past two weeks, uh, Fant has been nearly an every down player. 84% of the team snaps, a 25% target share the past two weeks, which was tied with Court and Sutherland in that span. Uh, fantasy's tied in two, no, fantasy's tied in six, I believe, in the past two weeks. But then, more importantly, even if he doesn't get that 75-yard touchdown, he's run a route on 53 of Denver's 61 dropbacks the past two weeks. He's suddenly become an every-down tight end, which you're going to take in that terrible position yeah. that even Darren Fales had one catch for three yards, and he finished as the tight end 13. He was a touchdown, of course, wow. but he was the tight end 13 in week nine because that's all it takes. And now you have an explosive guy playing every snap. It's just like, here is the guy you want if you've been struggling in that position. Finally got the full-time role with Jeff Hireman out with that knee injury. But, yeah, even when Hireman was still in there, like he is their number two receiver now that Manny Sanders is gone. If anyone knows where like Deshaun Hamilton is, please let us know. I'm wor- <laughs> I would I'm wor- love to know. I'm worried about the guy. He's got one target over the last few weeks. I mean, seemed like he could step in and be that guy. But, no, it is Cortland Sutton, and then it is Noah Fan. It's one of those situations where even Brandon Allen looked pretty good this past weekend. I mean, good job by that offensive coordinator to design an offense. And Brandon Allen talked about it, how to get the ball out quickly and decisively to good reads. Good coaching matters a lot. Um, I've been thinking and reflecting back on this podcast, and I realized I probably sounded like super negative about DK Metcalf, and that wasn't the point of my did you? comment at all. I don't think you did. I mean, I called him a limited player. I want everyone to know I love DK Metcalf. Like, yeah. the point of talking about that was saying, hey, it's great to highlight the positives, but it's okay to be a little bit critical at times. I loved him coming out of school. Had him as the 22nd overall player. He was drafted 64. So let me just say out there to everyone and to DK personally, love your game. Well, and if you're – a player and 20% of your game is limited and 80% of your game is exceptional, that means you're an exceptional player. Correct. So like, your mentions are still going to burn. I, I, don't, I don't want that to happen. <laughs> um, all right, everyone, that's it for us. We'll be back on Thursday. We'll be back on Friday with two more episodes this week. Go back and listen to the Roundup, the review, 
pod of every game just in case you miss the moments that are important from Sunday's episode. And from energetically, all of us, we'll see you all next time. See ya. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.